If you like the show, share it with a friend. You can find us at facebook.com slash slipangleshow, and you can visit our new home on the web at www.tracktuned.com backslash slipangle. You can also leave us reviews and ratings on iTunes. Angle Show. I'm Austin Cabot, and today I am in North Carolina, up here in Statesville, at Long Road Racing with Glenn Long. How are you, Glenn? Doing great. Welcome to the facility. Thanks. It's an amazing facility, too. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. Yeah, this place, um, you said you guys have been in this location for about a year. Correct. Okay. Yep. Awesome. And for those of you listening that don't quite know Long Road Racing, this is actually where all the global MX-5 Cup cars are, are currently being built um, that are, are kind of running around. I saw a couple of them out at 25-hour. Uh, if you've been to any sort of motorsports trade show in the past year or so, uh, you've probably at least seen photos of it. Some of you may have even you know, seen it up close. Some of you may have even gotten to sit in one, like I got to at MS Expo last year. Um, which is actually the first time that I, you know, I had seen it. Uh, I wish I would have known that you guys were were right up the road. Yeah, I would have. I would have extended my my trip a little bit and and come up here and seen everything. So. Well, you're always welcome. Oh well, we appreciate it. So tell us a little bit about long road racing and kind of how how everything got started. I know before we came on the air, you were telling me that you started off as a as a racer yourself. Absolutely, we uh, started off autocrossing uh, for many years, and. Uh, course wanted to go a little bit faster and then we started to do time trials okay and from time trials we had to buy a car and we started racing i ran an h production sprite for many many years okay up in what, the northeast what years were these oh let's see got married in 76 uh so that would be probably 78 to early 80s up in like lime rock a lot okay and uh watkins Glen up in the northeast which yeah. is where we lived and that was great fun and uh, it was always a, a good hobby. Had a, I had a regular job to be able to pay for the racing. Yeah. But uh, always a hobby and just a, a great sport. Okay. Now, what was time trials like back then? You know, I've, it's, it seems like for the most part, everybody that I talked to back then, their time trials wasn't as popular as it might be now. Um, what was it like? Did you still have to have a, a fully, you know, race prepped um, car and everything like that? No, it was it was very different. Okay. It was make sure you take your floor mats out of your car. Yeah. You know, have a helmet. You know, it could be a DOT. Couldn't be a motorcycle. Had to be a DOT helmet. Okay. And pretty much that was it. It was kind of run what you brung. So it's kind of like HPDE is Ex now. Exactly. But you were you were That's competing. Right. That's right. Okay. Yep. Awesome. So what was it like for you going from autocross into that? Well, it was it was huge fun. I had uh, a lot of friends that I worked with that were autocrossing at the time. That's how we got involved, mm -hmm. and um, it, it was it was just kind of a wonderful extension of friendships. I've, I of all the things that I've done in my life, I've made more friends through racing than I have or my my wife and I have in in any other form of you know relationship gathering, if you will, be it at work or the kids at school or this or that. And it's I think it's just the commonality of you know having a passion for vehicles. Yeah. And uh, autocrossing was great fun, but I really wanted to compete against another another vehicle. And uh, I thought it was uh, the right thing to do to start with uh, time trial. Okay. That way, at least I learned how to drive on a racetrack. Yeah. And then uh, it was like, well, let's let's start to do, let's do something else. And we started to get involved with SCCA. Okay. And uh, at the time, it was a really big deal to get an SCCA license, a regional, and then a national license. Yeah. Great fun. Yeah. Great fun. You know, for, for the time trial stuff, um, a lot of times now for time trials, you move up through the HPDE ranks and have learned to drive on a track and things like that. You know, did you just kind of jump right into it? Never been on a track before? And you're like, all right, well, we're going to go we're going to go race time trials. Well, sort of. There, okay. there wasn't anywhere near the popularity or the availability of track time like there is today. Right. Uh, virtually at any track, almost any weekend that you show up, there's somebody out on track. Uh, back then, I don't believe anywhere near as much. Okay. And uh, so getting involved with the club, the only clubs that there were around at the time for this was a local sports car club I belonged to called Westchester Sports Car Club. Uh, but And they only did autocross, if you will. And then moving up to some of the uh, time trial stuff, it was... Uh, 
uh, Boot and Bonnet was the name of the club <laughs> up in uh, up in uh, Connecticut they were out of. But it was like two events a year or three events a year right. where, where you got to go do this time trial thing. Okay. And there was more more track time and more events if you ran with SCCA. You know, where all the big guys were running regionals and stuff, right? Yeah. So, uh, so that's how we got started. That's how we did this. Okay. So moving up from time trials, you know, obviously into Wheel the Wheel, you went to comp school. Right. Um, Where did you go to comp school at? Uh, Watkins Glen. Okay. Yep. And uh, we did, back in the day, you had to do two schools. So uh, we did uh, two trips up to uh, Watkins Glen. And uh, that track has a lot of meaning to me. Yeah. And uh, yeah, like they say, I'm so old, I was there before the chicane. <laughs> but uh, uh, just a phenomenal, phenomenal facility and yeah. so much history. And Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, moving up, um, going into, into Wheel the Wheel, yeah. did you cage the car that you were, you know, competing in time trials in? We, we did. I bought a, uh, an MG Midget from somebody that was uh, autocrossing the car, and we converted into, quote-unquote, a road race car, which meant that it only had a hoop in the back for uh, a rollover hoop, if you will, a main, 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 uh, main um, roll bar. Okay. And we ended up putting out the forward tubes and, you know, uh, under the dash bars and this, a little bit of a sidebar. Nothing like today, but uh, uh, today's rules. But, uh, yeah, so we turned it into a road race car, different wheels, um, and it was, uh, it was great fun. It broke all the time. My wife would come up and it was like, all she ever saw were legs from underneath the car. But, uh, yeah. you know, it was just great fun just being involved. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so so moving up through that, um, did you start traveling a lot and, and racing kind of in the amateur ranks a little bit? No, I was um, we, we uh, had kids in uh, 82 and 84. OK, so that kind of put a little bit of a I know I'm the only guy that had a cut back on racing with kids. <laughs> yeah, that very rarely happens. It never, never, ever happens before. And, uh, you know, there was just far too much money to spend on the race car. So we yeah. uh, stopped doing that, of course. OK. And uh, took a little hiatus uh, for that. And then uh, as the kids started to get older, uh, got reinvolved and uh, ended up buying a Cosworth Vega that uh, we ran in uh, ITA, okay. which was a blast because nobody else had one. So yeah. it was just a lot of fun. But it was, uh, you know, we used to race maybe five or six times a year, if that. And it wasn't a lot of funds available, obviously. So you, you, we stayed close. For a while, we lived in uh, D.C., so we ran at Summit Point a whole bunch. Yeah. And uh, great fun there and made lifelong friends and all that. Yeah, you know, that's something that a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, as an, an amateur racer, you know, there's a, a large social aspect to everything. I'm sure even Huge. in the professional ranks. Oh, absolutely. I mean, these are people, especially if, you, if you're running a series. So I think it was called uh, the Mars Series, Mid-Atlantic Road Racing Championship. And uh, they, uh, y you're with the same people five or six or seven times a year, you know, and the, the guy you paddock next to needs a, you know, a tub of wheel bearing grease and you have that and you can help them. And, you know, just the camaraderie and what you're doing. And it was it was awesome. Yeah. Really I mean, an awesome opportunity. You think about it, like if you have family that lives far away, you might spend one or two weekends with them. That's right. Whereas, you know, if you're racing, you might spend seven or eight weekends with them. Exactly. So you're spending more time with your racing friends Without than you are. Yeah. That's exactly so, and, and right. And it really does become a family. It does. You know, and you it keep does. going for a long time and you have a, a bunch of history. Absolutely. So that's one thing that I've always found very fascinating because in motorsports, it seems like it's it's one of those sports that, you know, it's an individual sport for the most part. It's also a team sport. Um, but you have people from all walks of life that enjoy watching it, enjoy participating in it. Exactly. Um, and, you know, even these days, it's, in my opinion, it's even more accessible than it used to be to be able to get out on track and kind of, you know, Ross Bentley was saying it's really it's a unique sport and that it's so accessible because you can drive on the same exact tracks that, you know, that you're the people that you look up to do. The exactly. same exact tracks, but if you play tennis, it's not like you can go play at Wimbledon. Or if you play golf, it's not like you can go play Augusta National. So it's, it's one of those things that's just so unique in that regard. Yeah, and I'll, I'll add another, another uh, facet to that. So um, my, my boys are in their early 30s now, and uh, one, one son, Tom, is a professional racer with Mazda, and the other son is involved still in motorsports. And, you know, it's what, what other sports can you play with your kids when they're in their 30s? Yeah. You know, it, it, it was wonderful when we were running, uh, uh, jumping ahead a bit, uh, Freedom Motorsport. You know, I had Tom on the team and Chris was our spotter. And it's just like, how, 
how awesome is that? Yeah. You know? It's a whole family affair. It, it, it absolutely is. Yeah. Yeah. Not many sports you can do that way. <laughs> so, so what's it like raising a, a professional racer? You know, there's, I have a bunch of friends that, you know, are starting to race and have, have, you know, children. Uh, and they're always like, oh yeah, we're going to give him into carts as soon as he, you know, as soon as he turns five and is right, able to. Right. And, you know, what's it, what's it kind of like, um, you know, kind of transferring that passion um, to your children. Well, un- unfortunately, I don't think that they had uh, much choice. You know, the, <laughs> uh, ever since they were little, uh, we were always car guys, people, right? And we had, you know, different things around the house and pictures, and we'd go to the racetrack together. Um, my wife was always incredibly supportive of, uh, of of all the things that we did, and she would uh, come to the events with us. And we started off uh, Tom in uh, carts. I guess he was about five or six. Okay. And uh, started him in carts a little bit. And uh, he had a sponsorship at the time from uh, Grandma and Grandpa, which was awesome. <laughs> and uh, from there, uh, we started, that was a road race in uh, Monrovia, Maryland. Okay. Or Mon- Monrovia may have been the name of the racetrack. But anyway, regardless, uh, then we moved up to Poughkeepsie, New York, and we started to do some uh, dirt ovals up there okay. on go-karts with him. And uh, took a little bit of a break there. By that time, he was uh, early, early teens, and he took a break for a few years until we started to, uh, he started, Tom used to be able to uh, do HBDEs. Okay. And, and I, I think that's, uh, you know, something, again, that is uh, really unique today where there is so much access to, to tracks. Yeah. Right? VIR is only a few hours from here. It's kind of our home track, uh, one of my favorites in the whole country. And um, you could look up on their website, and there's... I'm going to not exaggerate. There's a hundred different events. Yeah, literally. Literally a hundred events that you could do in a year at VIR. Yeah. So. You know, that's kind of interesting. You know, I think there aren't many people that I've talked to that kind of take a break like that and then hop into a car and decide, you know, we're going to go do HPDE stuff. Right. You know, they're like, we're racers. We've always been racers. Let's go racing. Right. So it's kind of unique in that regard. And it, it kind of shows, you know, people that if you want to, you can, there's that path there that you can kind of move up. You know, and Sam and I had talked about before, Sam Barnett, who's been on the show, um, we talked about the fact that there really isn't, you know, a, a best path into yeah. motorsports. It's just kind of everybody just kind of finds their own way. It, that, that, that's absolutely true. There, there, there's many, many different paths. And, uh, you know, I, 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 we've always felt that you kind of start at the beginning and you learn, you know, you learn the proper way to do things. And once you're accomplished in that, then you take the next step. And when you accomplish success there, you move on and, and, and go forward. There's lots of people that have wonderful opportunities to, well, I never drove a race car. Let's go do the 24 hours of Daytona. Yeah. You know, God bless them. Right. <laughs> but, you know, there's a little bit of a learning curve in the middle there that sometimes are missed. Yeah. So, yeah. so how, how long did he kind of go and do HBDEs for before he, he started, you know, going, uh, getting into wheel to wheel stuff? Uh, Probably for just a year or two. Okay. Uh, he ended up buying a uh, brand new 2001, I think it was, Honda Civic. Okay. And we ran that. Of, of course, welcome to the slippery slope. We're just going to put in a bolt and roll cage so that <laughs> way we can start to do more HPDEs and run it in showroom stock maybe. And one thing led to the other. And, of course, it stopped being his daily driver and ended up to be his uh, weekend race car. We ran showroom stock for a while, and uh, he did very well on that. Came it was in showroom stock C, right? SSC, exactly. Okay. Sorry. Okay. SSC. And uh, I think he came in uh, third at um, um, runoffs at, at Mid-Ohio one year. Okay. And immediately after that, we got involved with this uh, relatively new class called Spec Miata. Yeah. And uh, that's, that was the beginning of a long story. So, <laughs> yeah, so we've been doing Spec Miata. Uh, I think it was 2004. Uh, was our first year. Okay. Uh, we, we ran uh, Pro Spec Miata at the time, uh, which was uh, before it was uh, MX-5 Cup. Right. It was called Pro Spec Miata. And then Tom won the national championship, I believe it was 2005. Okay. And uh, ever since then, um, it, it's just been kind of upward and onward for him in his career. Uh, but for me, for the business, as we were talking about earlier, um, that's really when things started to take off because people said, well, maybe you know how to work on these Miata things. Uh, can you help us? Can you work on our cars? Yeah. And uh, I already had a full-time job, but uh, this was my hobby. And uh, as we've joked around, it's a hobby gone bad or a hobby gone good. I'm not sure. <laughs> 
but uh, we've we've been uh, doing uh, spec Miatas or involved with Mazas ever since 2004. Okay. Yeah. Now, what was it like in the the beginning days of spec Miata? You know, I actually uh, the guys down at VA Roadsters have an old like spec Miata from like back in the day, and the cage is like super overbuilt you right. know like that would people would look at it today and be like that's way too much weight like right. that's that car i can look at that cage and tell you that car is not going to be competitive you right. know right, so right, right. what was it like back then it, it was awesome yeah um i i think that a lot of the people that we race with with we all felt that it was really something special and unique yeah we'd all had different racing class backgrounds but the ability to drive against other people in the same car um, at the time, although it was spec, there were still a lot of engineering opportunities there. Yeah. Uh, to you know, to reduce friction and this and that and the other, and um, and it was just fun. It was really a great environment because you really felt like you were, you know, working with these relatively new Miatas right there at the time. They were only a few years old. Yeah. Uh, relatively new race cars and uh, just. Just a great experience. When the series first started, was it only NAs that were spec Miatas, or were NBs still eligible at the same time? I don't time? know. Okay. When we ran pro spec Miata, NAs and NBs were were there because some of the cars had a restrictor plate with Bs, right. and the NAs, which we ran, uh, did not. Okay. So yeah, so uh, but I don't know exactly when spec Miata started to be able to say it was only NAs at the beginning. I'm, I just don't know. Okay. Yeah, when, when it started, um, did you think that it would have the success that it has now, you know, with 60-plus cars at, at events? And no, it's just... <laughs> I, 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 I don't know that anybody ever thought that. Yeah, I, don't I think, think it, it was, was kind of it just a planned. wild dream of, you know, I, I've, I've heard several people that have claimed that uh, they were the originator of the series of, of Spec Miata, <laughs> but I don't know that anybody could ever really envision the the amazing success. Yeah. Um, I doubt that Mazda ever thought that... that you know, they had a car that they had designed here, right? Kind of, um, you know, taking a lot of cues from uh, English roadsters into a car that has had such a life. Yeah, you know, we Just had uh, we had Tom Matano um, on the show when we were at, at Miata's at, at Mazda Raceway, Laguna Seca, and it was really interesting to hear him. We got about ten or fifteen minutes with him. Awesome. Um, yeah, and he was talking about the fact that you know he never thought the car would get past the third iteration. Right. You know, it was that was his life cycle plan for the car. Right. Um, but what really impressed me was you know, and it I said it in the episode, and I'll, I'll say it again now. You know, he said that when he designed the car, he designed a car that the last thing that he wanted you to do was like peek in the garage at night and tell the car good night. And, you know, it was kind of this whole like love, love affair with the car. And I think they've nailed that perfectly. I couldn't agree more. And uh, it, it's interesting. Each, each one of the generations, the the ND, the current uh, 2016 car, uh, kind of takes that, you know, to the next level. Yeah. And I, I, I just think that they've done an amazing, Mazda's done an amazing job on each each iteration of the car is just always better. Yeah. You know, it's not like, well, let's just do a facelift on it. It's always better. Yeah. So. You know, and, and as far as the ND goes, I'd say there's very few people out there right now that have more experience with that chassis than long road racing does. Uh, you're you're probably right. And, maybe uh, maybe some of the engineers. I'll, I'll, yeah, well, no no doubt. I mean, we're not uh, we didn't design the car, but we've had cars since. Uh, and, and I don't mean to come across the wrong way with that. Oh no, absolutely we, not. <laughs> we, we've had the cars uh, since March of last year. Yeah. We received three production uh, three pre production cars, which are two are still here. One's in Japan. Uh, we we sent it back over for uh, as a show car and uh, for them to do some some internal testing with. And uh, we've we spent a lot of time on these on these cars. So yeah. Yeah, they're they're amazing. Yeah. You know, I, I've talked to a couple people uh, like Modi at Blackbird Fabworks that kind of makes roll bars and stuff yeah. for them. I think he actually has the first bolt in roll bar available for the car. Phenomenal. Um, but he said that pulling it apart, he was very impressed at just how much thought actually went into the car. Oh, absolutely. And, and it's an amazing amount of detail that. You know, each one individually is kind of cool, let, let alone you look at the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of changes on the vehicle. And, and what's so unique is that it looks the same, right? You pull off the rear tire, you look inside, and there's a five-length suspension. Oh, it's the same one as the NC. Not when you put up, when you take it apart and you put two bars next to each other, it's like, huh, look at that. Yeah. They changed this, yeah. you know? Um, so there's lots of changes. And there's some things that are really, from a racer's perspective, and, and also on the streetcars, is really practical. So the two pinch welds on the ND are physically closer together 
than the uh, NC car, right? So the car, the, the pinch wall is a little closer. Mm -hmm. Yet when you build an NC race car, you take the seat and you put it inside the, the driver's compartment, and it always twists a little bit. The front of the seat always twists to the left a little bit because of that hump they have in the on the transmission tunnel, you know? So you're always fighting the seat to get it in there, and, you know, the driver's... Always want it a particular way, damn yeah. drivers. Anyway, right? <laughs> so you're, you're, you're getting in. This car, what they did, although it's physically narrower inside, they made the sides of the transmission tunnel vertical. So when you drop a seat in there now, you literally have room to slide it left and right. Wow. It's, it, it's phenomenal. They've done things like that. Small, the, small little things. Exactly. Yeah. Small little things that are just, oh my gosh, you know, and uh, they've, They've really done a, a nice job with the car. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, seeing seeing them up close, you know, mm -hmm. out out being built, uh, you know, you guys have a whole assembly line going on for, for all the, the cup cars that you guys are building. Uh, it's just, it's amazing that you guys can actually produce a car to that caliber of build quality and the parts and everything uh, and that people can buy them at such a, you know, such an affordable price is really what it comes down to. Yeah. So um, how how did that whole program kind of come about, you know, the development process? You know, obviously you got you got a car or you got three cars, three cars yep. um, to develop. Uh, what was the first thing that you guys did when you got the car and kind of walk us through that process a little bit? Uh, I mean, after we drove it around the building a whole bunch. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, the first thing we did with it, we brought it up to a company called Sova up at uh, VIR. They're based up at VIR. And uh, what we did was they have uh, something called a KNC, Kinematics and Compliance Machine. And we took a brand new car and we put it on that, on that uh, KNC machine. And we wanted to see what is the how stiff is the chassis, how does it twist uh, radially, uh, front to rear, and also corner to corner. Uh, so out of that, we started to uh, fabric, we, Sova started to put together a math model for the vehicle. Okay. We were able to take that. Uh, we came back and now we had data of... Um, uh, I'm sorry, Morse measurements in, in, uh, in, in, uh, North Carolina, Morse measurements did the K and C work. I okay. apologize. Okay. The, the data that we got from Sova, uh, which is up at VIR, um, we, we use that for all of the, uh, uh, dynamic, uh, data. So the K and C is really a very static, if you will, very slow moving twisting of the, of the vehicle mm -hmm. where Sova, it was all of the dynamic data. Is that the one where they put the hydraulics underneath each wheel and it, kind it, of exactly a multi-post yeah. rake. Okay. Right. Okay. So I, I apologize for the mix up there, but uh, regardless, we now had a math model on the car. So what we're able to do is to start to engineer where are the cage attachment points, where do they go? Uh, how much stiffness, where do we want to add stiffness? Where do we want a little bit of bend in it? Okay. And that's based on years of, you know, some years of experience of building yeah. building cars. And uh, so we put a cage in. We went back to uh, the KNC machine at Morse Measurements. They twisted it again. We improved some things, made some changes. And then we finally came up with a great cage design. Okay. So that's where we started with uh, starting off with the base platform itself. Okay. We didn't have a good platform. We, we couldn't really build off of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's, you know, you're building the foundation, essentially. It, well, that's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, from that, we then put out a uh, request for bid for uh, dampers, uh, for tires, uh, for brake pads, and for wheels. Okay. So we received, uh, I'm not sure the exact numbers, but these are really close. I think it was 11 sets of uh, different companies from dampers, um, uh, at least that many of tires, several brake pad companies. Um, the wheels were pretty easy uh, in the sense that we had multiple vendors, but we didn't have to, other than the weight changes, we didn't have to worry too much about uh, vendor selection on that from a performance perspective. Right. So what we did was we modeled, uh, Sova modeled each one of the dampers, each one of the, uh, of the tires. We did all this static testing, and then we were able to apply those and run all these combinations of damper A with tire B, with brake pad C, with wheel weight D, and you can't do that on track. I mean, you'll never have the same exact conditions. Yeah. So we were able to run through all of that, and we picked some that were really good and some that weren't so good. We then took those combinations, we put them on the car, we verified, yeah, you're right, this isn't so good, right? And that's that's okay. That's what you're doing your development for. And then we, you pick the products that are, are kind of at the top of the curves, 
And uh, that's where we started getting uh, uh, Tom, uh, Tom Long and Andrew Carbonell as our primary test drivers um, into the cars. And we started to really then focus on, so what do we need for sway bars and what about spring rates and all of that? So okay. that was kind of the process. We did it really very methodically or attempted to, I should say, very methodically and make sure that we had a really short window to do this in, yeah. uh, three or four months. And uh, we wanted to get it right out of the box. And I think one of the value of the car is that all of that engineering work, because it's hundreds and hundreds of hours of engineering work, is already done. Yeah. Right? As compared to, well, I'm going to go off and I'm going to go buy a new car, and I'm going to tear it all apart, and I hope this works good. Right? We we've, were able to eliminate that for the customer. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that's what makes it really attractive to a lot of people, too. All that hard work's been done. There's not as much right. tinkering. You know, it's you just worry about driving and, and setup. Exactly. You know, so and which is with the new chassis. I think it's a, a great way to be able to launch that new chassis into, the, you know, into Absolutely. a new series. That's right. That's so right. Um, how had Mazda talked to you about that, you know, about kind of starting this program long before the ND was even announced? Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. We, we've been working on uh, on this project with Mazda for, uh, you know, on and off here and there, uh, making sure that we understood what the goals of the project were, right, to deliver the best value in motorsports. And hopefully we think we've worked very closely with Mazda to accomplish that. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, it was something that uh, until the end of the Continental Series season in October is really uh, the year prior. So that would be 13, 14. 14, okay. sorry, because um, we worked all of 15 on the car, that's when things really started to come together for us. Okay. Yeah. Now, you know, coming from the NCs, because I know that you guys have a lot of experience with the NCs, right. um, what are the, the big things that kind of stand out to you uh, between the NC and the ND that you've seen from a, from a racing perspective? Weight. The car is, is several hundred pounds lighter. Right. Um, the, this engine has torque, which is awesome. Um, we used to joke around with uh, some of the other vehicles that, uh, you know, if you wanted to double the torque, you just hit the starter motor. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, I, I think those are the two, two biggest things. The, the other, um, w which is really more of a finesse item, um, the car is much more stable. Um, and precise. Yeah, we were talking to one of your engineers that was telling us about the the toe changes um, on the the NA or sorry the ND, ND versus right. the NC. You know how it toes in for stability as as opposed to toe out. Exactly, and that's in the rear. Right, um, right. On and that's something that uh, you know who knew you could learn all this stuff when you put <laughs> the car on on the uh, KNC machine. What you do is you can compress the vehicle completely, and you never see that in the shop. Right, the vehicle sees it out there, but you, you can't really see it or measure it or touch it or feel it. And it's really cool. And yeah, you can run shock pots and it'll tell you how fast the rate was and change. But there's nothing like compressing the car, okay, that you're at, you know, at Daytona in the banking, right? Simulate something like that. And you say, wow, look at that bushing twisting, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. You, you'd never see that. And, yeah. and it's, that's the kind of things that you can learn and then apply. And to your point, the, that's where we first saw that. Uh, the NC chassis, when you would go to compression, it would go to tow in in the rear. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It would go to tow, tow out, out right, in the rear. Right. The ND goes to tow in. Yeah. And talk about confidence, confidence inspiring. Yeah. Right. You know, I can see from, you know, from like an autocross perspective or like oh, yeah. slow speed handling, Absolutely. you know, the tow out from the NC would be nice, but I can see how that could also be very hairy. Uh, you know, at, at higher speeds. Too. That's exactly so. right. You hear a lot of, I got it, I got it, I don't got it. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, no doubt. You know, I've always wondered, um, for a while, I kind of had this idea of coming up with dynamic toe adjustment, you mm -hmm. know, almost essentially having some sort of hydraulic pieces that would change the, the toe links, you know, depending on the speed that you were going. So it could kind of adjust you know it could tow in at higher speeds but tow out you know at slower speeds so Didn't williams have that in formula one for a couple of years oh, did they? Or, no, I, I don't know i don't know <laughs> maybe maybe not maybe not <laughs> right so you know i think something like that would be interesting too but at the same time that's a lot of, of development a lot of tweaking and right, right so and then you lower the car and it's completely different that's um right. so 
along the lines of lowering the car, mm-hmm. uh, what's the the minimum ride height going to be for these cars? Uh, four inches okay. uh, is is going to be uh, what we propose to. Uh, is that to the jack point or to the pinch it, welds it, it, or it, to the lowest point on the car? Okay. Um, with the exception of there's these two little flaps in front of the front tires that are uh, there to help hold the fenders, uh, the uh, edges of the front fascia out. Other than that, it's a four-inch ride height, which is basically you set up a bar that's four inches tall, you put the car on a flat level surface, and you drag it underneath. If it hits anything, you're lower than four inches. <laughs> so uh, that's the way that most uh, sanctioning organizations, uh, pro-sanctioning organizations, measure ride height. Okay. Is you just have a clearance number. It's not to any particular point. Certainly manufacturers will, um, manufacturers like uh, for Porsche Cup, GT3 Cup, they... Um, they they have uh, specific points that they will measure too. Um, okay. We don't. We just try to go to right at four inches. Okay. Well, we'll take a quick break. Well, we're going to go to a driving tip from Ross Bentley for this week, and we'll be right back. <sighs> Breathing it just makes you feel good, doesn't it? And when you hold your breath, you don't feel so good, and that's the problem. A lot of drivers will hold their breath a lot. You know, instructors know this a lot of times. Instructors who sit in the right seat and they look over and they, you know, the driver's not breathing over there and uh, they know that the driver's not going to perform very well that way. So one of the things you actually need to do is you actually need to program. You need to make breathing a habit. You need to program your breathing. And, uh, you know, I, I tell a story often that years ago a friend of mine used to look at me kind of weird because every time I'd get to a freeway off-ramp, as I came to the off-ramp, I'd go... And I would deliberately have a nice slow exhale. And he'd kind of like, what are you doing? And it's like, I'm making breathing a habit. So it got to the point where when I was on the track and I was driving particularly a really fast corner, I mean, where do drivers most hold their breath on a, on a track? In the really fast, scary stuff or the big, heavy, late braking zones and those kinds, of, those kinds of places, really stressful areas. And if you think about it, when you hold your breath, do you tense up or do you relax? When you hold your breath, you tense up. Are you getting more or less feedback from the car that way? Less. So right when you need it most in those fast corners and those heavy braking zones, you tense up because you hold your breath and you actually get less feedback. So that's why you need to get breathing down to that program um, habit level where you just go as you're driving through those fast corners. They're coming up to a big heavy braking zone and and you practice that. So it's something that you can practice physically. You can practice it on the street. when you're on the track, you know, you kind of almost need to deliberately go out for a session and practice breathing. You can also practice it mentally in your mind, coming up to fast corners and going. So next time you're on the track, focus on your breathing. For more on Ross and Speed Secrets, visit SpeedSecrets.com. And we're back with Glenn Long. So, Glenn, tell me, uh, the cars, you know, you've been building a, a bunch of them now. Uh, I think I saw maybe 28 or 30 so far that have been have been produced. Yeah, we have, uh, let's see, 10. We have 28 cars uh, have been through the facility, are either here and or are through. We've delivered, uh, we're starting delivery just last week. We have six or seven cars already uh, delivered to customers. We have another five or six that are here ready for pickup. Okay. And uh, it takes us about two and a half weeks from the time, quote unquote, it rolls into the door uh, to the time that we're, we're done uh, making into a global MX-5 cup car. And it goes back out a little over 200, 210 hours. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, you know, uh, being able to, to walk around and, and see everything, um, Alana uh, walked me around and kind of showed me everything that was going on. And it was really interesting to see just kind of the workflow with everything. It, it makes perfect sense. It's almost the same workflow that you would have building building a car in your garage, you know, for if you're building a spec Miata or something. Absolutely. Um, but on a much larger scale, obviously. Yeah, it's, it's all the same thing, only different. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And she was she was showing me that, you know, there's very little that drivers will actually spec on the car. Obviously, seat. Um, you know, there was a team here earlier that was kind of test fitting seats and everything. Right. Um, but besides that, some of the safety equipment is open, uh, I know. But and then you can you can paint the interior of the car, whatever color you want. But other than that, it's all pretty much, you know, Absolute. set in stone. That's right. It's it's a, it clearly as a driver is not an engineering series. Right. Uh, we currently have four things that are open to full development uh, for the competitor. They can put in any seat they want. Any steering wheel they want. Well, the seat has to be FIA approved, but right. uh, seat, steering wheel, 
uh, safety belts and the inside rear view mirror. Okay. Knock yourselves out. <laughs> Other than that, the car is specced down to brake fluid and coolant and f- fluids and all the everything on the car is spec. Okay. And that's really what, what we're trying to do is to make a series that's spot on for drivers. Okay. Yeah, no spec down to the tires and the brake pads and everything. Everything, so, exactly. Yeah, that's, uh, it really it makes things a lot more simple for people, to be honest. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, and it, it, it's designed where not only at you know, $53,000 to buy a, you get a brand new car and it's a brand new race car, um, you, you, you also don't have to spend funds on, on development. So several people ask, well, why, why are you specking the, the engine oil, as an example? And it is easy. Because if I were to buy a car or, you know, you go off and buy a car, the first thing you'd want to do is figure out what oil or what fluids are going to give you the most horsepower, right? So there's, you know, hours and hours and hours on the dyno. Well, we don't want you to have to do that. Yeah. Right? We're all racing the same car here. Yeah. You shouldn't get an advantage because you're running brand A and I'm (laughs) running brand B. You know, it it was really interesting. There were some people that I I talked to uh, before I came here telling them I was coming here. And they're like, oh, you know, those cars are really expensive. But if you look at a base Miata and what it costs and then to fab up a nice cage, the suspension that I saw is very, very nice. Thank you. You know, the wheels are very nice that it's going to become specced with. You know, it just there's some very high level parts. I I don't think you could build one yourself for the same price. I don't I think really you, I really doubt it. I, I exactly and for a couple of reasons. One is that as we talked earlier, Mazda's already done the the investment for the engineering on the car. Second, all the pieces and parts that we're buying, we're buying at large quantity discount, right? Right. So you know, uh, I've been building race cars for a long time, and you buy onesies, twosies, you're, quote-unquote, paying racer discount, which is only twice retail. So, you know, um, so we're, we're getting some breaks there. And uh, we've been very fortunate because of the popularity of, of Spec Miata in, in years past, um, as well as what, of course, MX-5 Cup brings to the table. When you go to a company like BRMS that does all of our, uh, Brown & Miller, that does all of our, uh, our fluid lines, um, they're very interested and very motivated to be on part of the project. Yeah. You know, and, and so you end up with top shelf products. Um, so I think I, I really, really hope that our customers will be delighted with the vehicle. Yeah. I mean, from what I've seen, uh, I think they will be, you know, and, and the process is, is really amazing too. You know, pretty much the dash, like all the parts that are still on the car, the mm-hmm. factory parts are the ones that were on that exact car. When they came in, you guys keep track of everything. We, that is exactly right. We, as the car comes in, we spend a couple hours uh, generating labels and tags. We, we treat each chassis, quote-unquote, as if it's a customer. Then for that customer, we assign a series of rolling carts. So all the parts that come off of the car that are going to get reused go onto that cart, uh, which is assigned by VIN and chassis number. And that kind of goes off to the side for reassembly. All the parts that we add on to... Uh, we keep track of lot numbers, mm-hmm. uh, as an example, for the differential and transmission coolers that we add. Um, th- we, we keep track of all of the information on it. So if there's ever a recall from the manufacturer, I can go back to my customers and say, hey, you know, this particular pump or this cooler, there was a recall or they have had a problem with, you know, why don't we go ahead and make a change on that? Right. So, yeah, your, your parts manager was walking me through the, the candy store. There you go. Uh, like you guys call it with all the, yep. all the parts just all stacked up in rows. And, you know, he, he was showing me that every single thing has a tag on it. Every, every single part, even the seat rail, you know, like everything, everything or sorry, the seat mount. But right. Yeah, so just very, very interesting. Yep. Uh, you know, so there's tons and tons of time uh, that go into it. You know, to, to complete a car, how many hours of labor actually go into a full, complete, you know, complete car? It's a little over 200 hours per car. Wow. Okay. Yep. And that's not including, so we have a couple of hundred parts that we build on the car. Right. Uh, lots of, uh, of laser-cut metal. Uh, so, you you know, you have to cut the seat rails, as an example, or... Well, here's a, here's a good example. So we build our own sway bars. Right. Uh, we've worked with several companies. We really wanted to keep very tight control over uh, the rates of the sway bars for today as well as two years or five years from now. That's, that way they don't change. So as we order the metal back to the tracking, we have the lot number and all the metallurgy numbers on that particular bar so we can verify what the true rate's going to be. We bend it here uh, in the shop. Okay. We then take, there's collars uh, to locate it, and there's adjustment tabs for the front sway bar. They're just adjustable bars. And we send that out to a vendor, and they weld that all together. 
and then we bring it in house and we spray paint it and you know all of that time it all takes time to do all that stuff yeah. right and you're not going to do that for your one off project right right yeah you know and what what Alana was telling me too is that some of the parts are actually going to be available to the public oh absolutely Absolutely. 100% of the parts are available through Mazda uh, competition parts. Right. And we did that on purpose. There's lo- like the front strut tower brace uh, that we, we Which built. is actually very, very nice, you know. Thank and you. what was really interesting to me, too, is that's another part that has a unique part number and serial number. A- absolutely. Everything is traced back. Uh, 100% of the parts that are added on the car are traceable. Yeah. Um, so so there's that, that, that's a great example, if you don't mind. So we went to this KNC machine, right? We twisted the thing here and there, and we saw, hey, here's an opportunity for some stiffness. So we came up with a couple of designs, went back, we twisted it. It's not just, wow, well, it'll look cool if I put a bar from point A to point B, right? Yeah. So we, we have all that metal cut. We have a vendor weld it all together on jigs that we manufactured and uh, painted and put them on. What's a great part for a streetcar? And you can call up Mazda Competition Parts, buy the front tower brace, boom, there you go. Yeah. Same thing with the exhaust systems. Uh, we have uh, we worked with Cook's Racing Headers yeah. here in Statesville, North Carolina, and a great business partner. And uh, they did uh, lots of work on that to create the header, <laughs> uh, the mid-pipe, and the yeah, exhaust. You know, I'm laughing because I, re- I was remembering back to when we were in the parts room, and Alana told me that when you guys originally went to them, they were like, what's this MX-5 thing? I don't it's, even know what that is. Because uh, for our listeners that don't know, you know, they make a lot of, of V8 headers all, all and exhaust stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I got a kick out of that. <laughs> and, and, and their experience was phenomenal of uh, making sure that we uh, took advantage of the torque curve. Uh, so uh, we end up bolting on about uh, seven, 7 to 10 horsepower on the car. Wow. And while losing weight, while losing weight, and of that's, course, that's just still with the factory tune on it. Uh, it is. OK. Um, and what we're doing is uh, we're taking advantage of the sky active technology that comes with the car. And so we've been able to increase quite significantly the power band, uh, the area under the curve of when you dyno it. Right. You have a squiggly line that goes up. Right. right. Kind of a bell curve, kind of a looking or half a bell curve. Um but it's really important of not only of what's the maximum numbers, but that the, the usability area yeah. exactly. Yeah. Where's that mid range that everybody's looking for? Right. So anyway, so they're they're a great partner. But but all of those parts are all available. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, it was really interesting to me too to see kind of the the development that you guys had with some of your your partners. Um, you know, with the suspension and wheels and tires and everything. I know you tested right. tested tons of tires. Tons um, of tires. And it's uh, it's a really interesting uh, solution that you guys came up with that's going to be kind of unique. So it I is. know we can't really say too much about it right now, um, but I know in the coming weeks things will be will be coming out, and uh, I think everybody that's participating will be very pleased with what you guys have come up with. We, we, we hope so. It was a, a phenomenal opportunity to work with that particular vendor. Uh, so as I was giving an example of great packaging that Mazda did with the transmission tunnel, well, they also did the same thing under the wheel wells. Those wheel wells are not very big. They're much <laughs> smaller than what they were. Great efficiency, um, but it's hard to stuff a big tire in there. And we were testing different sizes, and uh, the company that we ended up selecting uh, was just awesome. I mean, they literally developed a new tire for the car for the series. Yeah. And it's like, wow. Which is pretty unique. I can't wow. think of too many other yeah. series, you know. I mean, aside from normal spec Miata and stuff like that. But, of you know, course. a brand new series having its own tire essentially exactly. is, is Real, very really unique. special. Yeah. So, really special. You know, one thing that I, I thought was also interesting was from a, a streetcar perspective, uh, there were a couple Miatas that were at Solo Nationals last year that actually were cars that you guys had. Exactly. Um, yep. And some of them, did some of them have some parts that you guys had developed as well? They, they did. The, what we did was we uh, took two, produ- uh, two pre-production cars that are in our lobby right now. And uh, uh, we bolted on parts off of the global MX-5 Cup cars. Um, clearly, different dynamics uh, in engineering parameters that you look at for solo versus road race. But there's a tremendous number of pieces and parts that cross over one for one. And a good example of we, we did an STR car. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we, we did the, our front strut tower brace and the exhaust. 
And we had a whole list while we were there, just so that way people could come underneath the canopy and we could identify that's the sway bar yeah. and it's the damper and it's this and it's that. We had a list on the side of the trailer so people could see, wow, this stuff crosses right over. Yeah. Are they the perfect rates? No. But, you know, like the dampers as an example. No. But, but you know, these are pieces and parts that are readily available that we could tune to that. So that was awesome. The, how did how did the the car do an STR? I know and it was kind of like an experimental thing, and the results were were yeah. kind of removed because they weren't actual real competitors in STR. They um, well, we 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 purposely didn't want to take a single point away from anybody. Right. So um, I believe if we were put back in, I thought it was twelfth or fourteenth out wow. of seventy. Yeah, wasn't so bad. Yeah. Um, so we were pretty happy with that. Uh, we were kind of midpoint in the pack. We also brought a um, one of the street classes where uh, we were able to take some of the parts where you're only allowed to just change the damper, but you had to keep the same spring in the same spring location. Okay. So Mazda's, we are developing pieces and parts specifically for the autocross market as well. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the, the cars are, are really interesting to me from a, a streetcar perspective, too. Uh, talking to one of your engineers, the rear end on it is actually really tall gearing. Yeah, great. Uh, another strategy of Sky Active. So on the NC cars, the rear differential is 4.3 to, to 1. That's right. right. Turn the pinion 4.3 times and the tire goes around once. Uh, with this car, it's 2.9 to yeah. 1. Yeah, when he told me that, I was like, are you serious? Yeah, right. Where, where are you getting that mechanical advantage? What they did was they took the uh, transmission gears and they went from something that may be, let's say, three inch in diameter to now where it's a four and a half or a five inch diameter. So they're getting all their mechanical advantage out of the transmission, yeah. uh, which reduces the amount of uh, spinning mass in the differential, which improves fuel mileage and right, it reduces weight and yeah. on and on. While, by the way, making the transmission even stronger, which is a big <laughs> benefit in racing. Yeah. So, you know, he, uh, he told me that the six gear is one to one. It you is. You know, there's no actual overdrive in that transmission. Right. And it still gets 30 plus miles to the gallon. Well, right. And if you do the math, it, it is an overdrive. Effective. In this, it, it, effectively, right. it is because right. the diff is only 2.9 to 1. Yeah. Yeah. So, so now I know some of the cars just uh, completed the 25-hour Thunder Hill. All uh, four completed. Yeah. That was a, a pretty, pretty grueling test. Um, you know, I know some of your guys went out there. Were you there yourself? I was not. Okay. Um, I, I stayed here, but uh, Mazda uh, commissioned uh, the, actually the first four production vehicles that we made where they left here. Uh, none of the cars had more than 18 miles on them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of laps around here. Yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, they went out to Thunder Hill and uh, all four cars uh, completed the race. It was uh, really, really an awesome, awesome uh, demonstration of the durability of the, of the vehicle itself. Yeah. So now I know you said that all the cars finished uh, at the 25 hour. Um, you kind of want to give us a run through of how, how they all did? Yeah, it was, um, it was pretty impressive. Um, we didn't change any brake pads. We didn't change any rotors. Did not add a quart of oil uh, to the cars for the entire 25 hours. Wow. Just, just amazing. So were you guys, were you guys was that kind of like the final test for all of the, the brake pads and everything that you would expect? Um, the stuff that you were running then is what the, the cars will... Uh, yeah, we'll call it the final test. Yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, so uh, the company that's uh, supplying brake pads, uh, the, the, the difference was that they were an endurance set of pads um, uh, versus what we'll be using as a, a sprint pad. Okay. But um, uh, everything just held up really well. And, of course, our uh, um, to-be-announced vendors were phenomenal in support there as well. So, yeah. so it was really nice. I mean, it, it was really kind of a, a, a great test in the sense of, um, you know, you put a, a year's worth of effort into making it happen, and then, uh, and, and then uh, you get to go to Thunder Hill and really test the cars for what turns out to be two full race seasons <laughs> yeah. per car yeah. of, of the car and be able to say, wow, this thing, it held together. Yeah. Good job. And the fact, too, that they're open cockpit cars and right. it rained. For those of you that don't know, it rained a lot. A lot. At the 25 yeah. hour, pretty much the last 12 hours, at least. Yeah, at least I think I was there right. around around like 1130 or midnight. So when it started coming yep. down and it was cold and with all those electronics exposed, nothing happened. Exactly. So it was quite amazing. Yep. So, 
Um, let's take another quick break, and we'll be right back. For our listeners in the Chicago area, we're holding a karting night on February 13th at K1 Speed in Addison, Illinois, and the Chicago suburbs. Uh, all of you are invited. We're going to have probably about 30 to 35 spots, uh, maybe 40 uh, available. And that weekend actually coincides with the beginning of the Chicago Auto Show. So if you're in the area, come check us out. You can find more information on our Facebook page and coming soon on our website, www.tracktune.com. Hope to see you there. And we're back. Uh, currently joining us, who just walked in the room with Glenn and I, is John Dean. How's it going, John? Good, man. Glad to, glad to be here. Yeah. Uh, for those of you that don't know, John was actually the champion last season uh, in the MX-5 Cup. Yep, 2015 uh, champion. Started in the season in the uh, MX-5 Cup in 2012. Um, actually, the winningest driver in the series. Uh, have more more wins, more poles, and more podiums than any other driver in the history of the series. That's awesome, man. So, when how how long were you involved in the series? Uh, my first season was 2012. Okay, and it was just kind of a chance deal that I got into it. I had some clients that wanted to buy some MX-5s with the uh, thoughts of going to the Playboy Cup at the time. And they said, hey, John, would you, you know, facilitate this for us? We'll get you a car so you can run with us. So obviously I was super stoked to, to get back into the pro racing. And they, uh, they had some scheduling conflictions, so they ended up only running one race. And I had to figure out how to start building a team. And next thing I know, here I am. A few years later, the champion of the uh, the series and uh, a seven-car team for next year. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, and so you were here today at Long Road Racing kind of checking everything out. I think you just picked up a couple cars, right? Yeah, this is my second trip here in two weeks. Okay. Uh, we picked. <laughs> I picked up two last week, and um, I, I actually have a new office that's going to be in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this is uh, – I picked up three cars today, and I'll be back next week to pick up uh, another one. And then, okay. And then we have another one a little so you later. You just fly up and drive the thing back. Uh, yeah, it should, be, be should be fine, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that'd work out Actually, so well. Today, I'd have to drive it back in the snow. It's snowing yeah. today. Yeah, it is. Uh, and it's starting to accumulate now, too. So that was uh, I, that was not expected. I drove up here from Atlanta, and it just kept getting colder and colder and colder. I, I'm a Floridian. And started, I don't understand yeah. this stuff. Yeah, what is this? Guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, coming from, from the NCs and obviously having a lot of experience in the NC, uh, what's your first take kind of on what you've experienced with the ND so far and how, how the two kind of compare well i haven't had the chance to drive the car yet okay. except out to the trailer um so i didn't get a good feel for it which was fun from what i heard <laughs> well our, yeah yeah i didn't do any donuts personally but it did happen um but you know we've had a chance to to get the car up and look it over at the shop uh really quickly and you know there are a lot of differences with the car it's a similar sort of setup uh its horsepower will be similar it will be quite a bit lighter i think it's uh is it 250 pounds lighter i believe yeah, what's be. what's the competition weight uh, 2350 with driver. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So that's down from 2600 yeah. in the previous car. I mean, that's lighter than, you know, your NB spec Miata. A exactly. Like 50 pounds. That's And that's uh, the, the driver weight this year will be 220 pounds. So okay. that's a base weight of only 2100 and change. Wow. So obviously I have to add a lot of lead to the, the right <laughs> <Yeah>. side. <laughs> but uh, I'm excited to drive the car. Looking over the car from a mechanical standpoint, uh, these guys have done a really good job. There's a lot of cool parts. I'm really happy with the the change in uh, direction that they went with the new the new suspension, the new shock, which I guess we probably can't talk about. But I I I'm, I it looks like on paper that it will be a lot better. Um, uh, Glenn and the guys at Long Road Racing, if you look at the car over, they're fantastic. They're you know the the planning and and logistics behind. Everything that has gone into this is uh, is a huge feat, and uh, so far, you know what I see is it looks really good. So yeah, I'm happy about it. I'm excited to get in the car for the first time. Yeah, uh, when's that going to be? January 30th and 31st. We're having a team test at Sebring, okay. so we will have most of our guys there. It's the first time I'll get to drive the car. Okay, and then I'll start uh, trying to dial in our settings and find. Find some good dry settings. Maybe, hopefully, it'll rain. Um, but uh, the the <laughs> it's very rare that people go. Hopefully, it'll rain. Yeah, but, but, but it that actually, way you know you can baseline. You, you learn it. a lot. You yeah, know? and we never had that opportunity in the last car. So my rain setup suffered um, in the last car up until the end of the season last year was the first time I had a chance to drive the car in the rain in a session that didn't matter. Okay. So and it was huge. We ended up winning. Um, we ended up basically sealing the championship that weekend and that was due to 
having some good rain testing and the car worked really well. So unfortunately, I don't think we'll have rain tires yet for testing, but uh, if it does rain, we'll figure something out. We'll throw some street tires on it and just try to run a soft setup. But we'll be able to dial the cars in a lot in the first weekend and kind of see where we are and then start progressing through the rest of our preseason testing. Okay. Yeah, you know, that, that first weekend out, what's kind of the main thing that you're looking for? Just overall feel of the car and kind of just, you know, uh, what's what's your process that you think going into it that you'll start looking at and tuning first? My process personally will be I will I'm going to drive the car to feel see where we're at and I'll, I'll just kind of run a base very basic setup softer than what I imagine where we would need to go and then I'll start tweaking and tuning I'll put the same kind of guest base setup um, obviously these guys have at long road racing have kind of given me a target of kind of where to be which is good that'll save us a lot of time um, I'll send everybody else on just a, a vague setup, and then I will start tweaking and tuning to where what feels good for Sebring, what feels good for my driving style, if you want to say there's a driving style. <laughs> but uh, um, then we'll start to trickle those setups down to the other guys as we make the car feel better. Okay. So early on, that's going to be, that's gonna be my, my job, my goal. And then from there, hopefully we'll have a couple weekends where I can s- – kind of put off the testing the car and changing things and then work more on developing my other drivers and uh, trying to extract more out of out of them okay yeah so if you have i guess you you're picking up seven cars and one of them is obviously yours to drive so you have yeah. six customers that are going to be going to be driving as well I guess. yeah i do and most okay. of those i could say who they are some i can't but, oh yeah uh, don't don't worry about it um just just wondering what their thoughts are, are they i'm sure they're super excited yeah, I, um, we had a couple of the guys were here today, and it's it, it's going to be a fun season. We have very different characters, um, and all of us have a great sense of humor, and it's going to be it's going to it's going to be a blast, man. Yeah, making fun of each other all year. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what's the the schedule look like for next year as far as all the races go? Um, will you guys be able to make all the rounds? We have, uh, yeah, I, uh, we're going to start the season at the end of uh, April out at uh, Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca. Okay. Uh, which is going to be really special. We're, uh, it's a fitting place for a start. Yeah, it's just, just coincidence. <laughs> um, I, I, I'd assume that we're going to have anywhere between 45 to 50 uh, cars first race, which is super wow. exciting. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, then after that, we go up to Road America um, in June. Uh, then up to Canada at uh, Canadian Tire uh, Motorsports Park, which was the old Mossport. Right. That's in July. Okay. Uh, we then do VIR in August. Um, our season finale in, I believe it's end of September or middle of October at Petite. And there's one more event that uh, Mazda is still, Mazda and SEC are still coordinating um, uh, uh, for a total of six events with 12 races. Okay. Then on top of that, at the very end of the year, because this is a global MX-5 Cup Series, uh, they'll have an invitational race again at Mazda Raceway. And uh, we'll have drivers, because uh, we're building cars for uh, France, and uh, Japan. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. And uh, all Will those all still be left-hand drive? All left-hand drive right okay. now. Okay. Um, and we may have a couple of customers uh, from the UK by that time. And uh, as, as they start to have the cars uh, run it, run there, we'll, uh, we'll invite some of those drivers over as well for a, a global finale this year. Okay. And uh, Mazda has the winner of that gets a, uh, a test in the Mazda prototype. Okay. Run by SpeedSource and... Uh, that's what a, what an opportunity. <laughs> yeah. So now, will all of the the cars all over the world that are being raced will they all be the two liters or will some of them be the one point fives or all the identical cars? Okay. Awesome. Yep. yep. Awesome. And I know before we came on air, we were talking about how the the cars actually class into other organizations. Um, you want to kind of explain that a little bit? Yeah. So one of the visions that uh, Mazda had was that um, we wanted to have a car where you could run it in the Pro Series, mm-hmm. and then uh, you could also run it at at uh, local organizations such as SCCA. It's a as the car sits, it goes directly into T3, and in NASA it goes directly into PTC. See? Okay. And uh, with no changes, maybe, maybe tire changes depending on the tire rule that they have, right. but. Um, there's no restrictions or no weights or anything like that. So that's really appealing to a lot of our customers where if they want to run a, a regional series or a national level, um, I think that there's certainly a national title in T3 to be had. Um, you know, you can run the car and then if the big if the big show comes to town, you know, the Global MX-5 Cup, you can run that as well. Yeah. So 
Now, John, do you have plans to race, um, you know, in any of the the more like regional series as well, like with NASA or SCCA or anything at the moment, um, just I to get some extra seat time? I personally don't. Okay. It's it's too risky for uh, for someone like me to compete in one of those yeah, and, and have the wear and tear on the car and, and risking and risk. balling it up. The risk yeah. isn't there for, yeah. for what I'm trying to do. But from a from a business standpoint, um, from Six Sideways, I'm trying to develop the business to have a regional fleet of cars as well as the pro fleet. So okay, we were actually still using our old cars, the NC car, as in in the T4 class, and we're hoping to develop. Uh, more of a base set of cars for that, as well as then having cars that guys can run in the MX-5 Cup. Okay, awesome. Well, where can people find out more about you, John? Uh, Facebook is really the best way. Find us on Facebook, uh, Six Sideways, really easy to find, or John Dean the second. I'm number two. Okay. Yep. Yeah, and you, your brother James, right? Like, literally, <laughs> you have, have a brother, brother named James. James. I do, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you told me that, I cracked up a little bit. So I told him, I said, Ray, you are, we call him Ray because his middle name is Raymond. It's a little okay. easier. But I told him, I'm like, hey, man, you got to get a uh, 550 Spider. And yeah. he looked at me and said, why? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. Come on. <laughs> and now he actually has a Porsche at Boxster, so he kind of does. Okay. Yeah. That's. Is it silver? Yeah. Oh man, oh, that's yep. perfect, You're doomed, dude. You're I doomed. think. I think you need to get some custom decals made for him. Let's <laughs> yeah. slap them on there. So, well, we're really looking forward to, to watching you this season. Uh, wish you the best, uh, and we'll be rooting for you. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, sure. And Glenn, where can people find out more about uh, Long Road Racing? Uh, longroadracing.com. Okay. And uh, we're also on Facebook. Facebook probably is a little more current for us. And uh, information on the Global MX-5 cars is available at uh, at uh, Mazda, uh, Mazda.com. Go to the competition website, and uh, it's heading it's top banner up there. So Okay. And people are always welcome to give us a call here and arrange uh, a tour or a visit. Uh, love having people here. And uh, some people come many, many, multiple times right john yeah i'm moving in i'm bringing the u-haul next week <laughs> well thank you uh, gentlemen both so much for your time awesome thank you so Thanks. much for the opportunity oh anytime